0: You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Dusty, and it's a real honor to be here today. I really enjoyed what you guys have done, both service today. Man, these guys are great. Just taking us to Jesus, and it uh, should, should probably not be noteworthy when that happens, but it truly is, just to sing to Him, pray to Him. And look to him in every way. That's really where we're going to go this morning. It's mostly been a really good experience with you guys this morning. Um, the the downside would be just a few stray comments, um, things like um, Melissa and the the coffee gal from first service. Um, she and her husband were over there, and you know, I was just kind of chatting with them. And she says, um, she goes, "Oh man, I had, a, I had to go to West Texas. I didn't know who I am." I had to go to West Texas last week and uh, for a wedding. Why would anyone want to live out there? I said, well, funny that you mention it, but um, live kind of that general area. And then um, then I had a few people that were like, Dusty from Lubbock, really? Really? That's, that's how this is going to go? It might. It might. But um, I'm, uh, I grew up in Fort Worth, just right down the road. and Went to Southwest High School, then went to went to Lubbock for, um, went to tech there for four years, met, uh, met my wife there, um, Amy, we've been married for 16 years. Uh, we moved back a bit to the Metroplex for a few years while I did seminary and other things. And then we've been back in Lubbock for our second tour of duty, I guess for 12 plus and, um, have a, a nine year old, almost 10 Roman. That's actually why I'm in town is I'm his baseball coach. We're playing, um, up the road in Grapevine and, um, and so doing all that while we're here, and then I've got a two-year-old JJ. So that's a little bit about me. And um, I've really enjoyed just getting to know you guys. You guys have a great thing. really enjoy your pastor, Rodney, and um, his wife, Laura. Super excited for y'all. I called him last night just to to make sure we're all good to go, and I knew where I was going, and Laura picks up the phone. I was what are you doing? She goes, I had a baby, <laughs> like like today. And so... Anyways, well, what are you doing answering the phone? So anyways, just super excited for them, and I know they felt really loved by all of you guys, so this is a really great church. If you're new here, um, I really hope that you will consider connecting, and one of the things that I love about about this church and, and really how it is that we've we've gotten connected is through our church planning network that's called Acts 29, and in fact, we'll get to hang out with a couple hundred of our best friends in, in Vail uh, in about a week, so we'll get to hang out again there. And, um, and so one of the things that we, we love about this church planning network, other than the fact that we get to go to Vail, which is pretty cool, is that the, one of the values that you're going to see at, at any one of these churches that you would go connect with is something that we, you know, will pastor geeky guys will call gospel centrality. But here's what it means is it means that the, the gospel is the center point for everything that we do. And I need to explain that a little bit because every every church probably around here thinks of themselves as gospel-centered. And, and to a certain degree, uh, they they would be right. And don't hear me hating on our brothers and sisters because there's a lot of great churches around here that, that um, I'm sure there are. I don't really know this area, but like in Lubbock, a lot of people that love Jesus, that do hold the gospel message out every week. Here, here's what I'm saying. The gospel is uh, Jesus lives a perfect life, obeys all of the law, always had the right sort of relationship with God the Father, um, he is crucified and then resurrected. And what this means is is that uh, whenever He was crucified and resurrected, that for everyone that would hope in Him, that all of God's wrath that should have been poured out on you. And you may be thinking, why? Why, would God's, why, why do we got to be bringing God's wrath into it? I've heard about guys like you. And the reason is, is because God is just. And what are we going to do with a God that is just and where we have been at best indifferent, at best case, even while we've tried to do good things, at best case, we've been indifferent. Truly, it's worse than that. Truly, it's worse than that. And, uh, um, and so what does, what does a just God do with our indifference and truly our rebellion against Him? And, and the answer is, is that God is angry and and he must vindicate his own justice if he's going to continue to be just. And so what the Bible teaches is that um, to um, answer this is that Jesus comes forward and is put in the place, it takes our place, this is sometimes called the great exchange, where all of God's wrath is poured out on Jesus and then he gives everyone that would believe his own righteousness, it's called. In other words, all of his obedience, all of his perfect record of following and loving and being in right relationship with God, the father, God, the son did all of those things that is given to all that believe. And then our wrath it should have been ours was placed on Jesus. And then through the resurrection of Jesus, we live and will reign with him forever. And so this is the gospel message. This is really, really good news. Okay, so there are lots and lots of churches around here that believe that, which is really exciting and great. And what you you may hear, and I had a chance to visit a lot of churches around Lubbock before we planted. I've been on staff for almost 10 years and uh, at a church in Lubbock. They commissioned us to plant about three and a half years ago. Had a couple of months off to visit lots of churches. And in very good churches, that I would say the the, um, the standard sermon was something along the lines of, "Here's three things that will improve your marriage. Here's how you get out of debt. Here's how it is that you um, you know should raise children the right way. Here's and all all true things, biblical things. And then at the very end, rightly would say, "And hey, by the way, some of you have a bigger problem than you're not parenting right or you're not handling money right, and that's that you're not in right relationship with God. You need to come to Jesus now." And they would present something like what I just said, and people would become Christians. And for that, we praise the Lord. A lot of faithful churches that are that are holding out that sort of gospel ministry. The downside in it is is that on the back end, the impression you get is how it is that we start the Christian life is by grace, that we need Jesus on the cross and resurrection to get this thing going. That's how you get saved, if you want to say it that way. That's how you start it. And then now what we do is we have principles. We have principles for life. And so now you've got principles for marriage, principles for managing money, principles for raising children, principles for all sorts of things that are true, even biblical principles. But the idea you get is what we do is you, you we're saved by grace. Then after that, truly, you need to be better, you know? And whether it's with a smile or if it's real angry with like veins all popping out and anything else, the bottom line of almost every sermon is you should be doing better than you are, you know? And that's, you need to become a Christian and there will be the gospel. But what I know that Rodney holds out to you here, it's because the message of the Bible is that the gospel is not only for if you're here tonight, today, and you're considering Jesus, that the gospel is for you. It's how you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus by looking to Him there, holding on to Him by faith. That's how that starts. But it's, we don't ever move away from that. That's what it means to be gospel centered. From what I understand of what you guys have been doing over several weeks, you've been doing a, a series on change. I'm pretty sure that message has not been, okay, you you were you became a Christian here, so now we should just be doing better. I don't think that's what you've been hearing. In fact, what you've been hearing is, is week after week, considering different pieces of this gospel message that you believe, yet you don't, Right? You believe it, yet you don't. In fact, to say it even stronger than that, every dumb thing that you're doing right now is in some way related to the fact that you don't completely, fully, truly, at the core of your being, believe it. You know? It's like you do and you don't. This is the Christian life. You believe it and you're holding on to Jesus, but in other ways, You think that you need to control people and situations. In other ways, you feel like you need to succeed so that people will say that you're okay. And if you please enough people, and if people say you're awesome, then maybe you are. Right? I mean, this is how it is. Through whatever means that we we go about it. And, And there's a million different angles to this. But what you've been hearing over the last several weeks is that we just keep looking to Jesus. That if we'll continue to look to the Gospel message of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf and who God says that you are... Wicked yet now fully loved that every broken thing that we have finds change, transformation and healing through what Jesus has already done, that it's finished. That's why we keep singing songs about it being done. You know, like it's complete and finished in Christ. His love for you is complete and will never, never increase. Have you considered that? You know that he will not even love you more in heaven than he does now. If you're a follower of Jesus, the reason that I can say a radical statement is that you're like, yeah, but I'm still struggling with this and this and this. He won't love you more when you get it ironed out. He won't love you more even whenever you're standing face to face with him someday, like we sing about, you know, not even then. And the reason is, is because God's love for you is constant because it's based on what the son has already accomplished on your behalf. It's complete. It's complete. And He loves the Son with a complete love that can't even grow because it's perfect and complete. And because you're in Jesus, He loves you completely. This is the Gospel message. This is what you're hearing about. This is the nature of this series, is that what we're saying, we're not saying, don't hear me um, at all saying that we get like resaved every week, you know, that we go crazy on Saturday night, so we need to go get that all right. That's not it. But what we are saying is we never move past needing Him. Never move past it. We're just constantly in a state of holding on to Him, looking to him to heal what's broken, to confront the things that, um, that we can tend to latch on to. Now, let me say this as one last part by way of a somewhat lengthy introduction to our text today, is the piece that hasn't really been handled yet, from what Rodney's talked about, that, that has been the plan all along for this week. Just to say this up front, is that this change is not only an individual project, even though that's part of it, it's also a community project that we're in this together on. That it's not just you and Jesus ironing out all this, it's also us and Jesus. And the reason I think this really needs to be said here is that I heard a, a Christian leader that fancies himself a bit of a sociologist, and he said, I think he's right, that looking culturally, that Americans tend to view all of life as a self-project. A uh, bit of confession here, um, sadly, I, I watch a show called Survivor with my, my wife, and, I mean, it's really kind of like a, a train wreck that, you know, or car wreck that you know you're not supposed to be looking at, but you just can't help yourself. That's kind of how we feel um, about once a week. And and so we watch this show, and, and what you'll always hear, if you just want to figure out what a self-project is, just watch it. And what'll happen is, is someone was mostly a terrible human being for several episodes, and no one liked them. They voted them out because they were crazy or um, just a flat-out punk and unwise and any number of things. And then uh, and they'll vote them out and then they'll they'll come talk on after the screen and they'll say something like this, hey, you know what, I wouldn't change a thing, have no regrets, it's been awesome, I've learned so much about myself, I've grown from the experience, there's so many things that I didn't know I could do that now I know I can do, so it was an awesome experience, glad I did it. Okay, now that kind of sums up how most people that you know and you yourself probably, it's the air that we breathe on how it is that we approach life kind of a no regrets. Everything is good. That whenever anything happens, it's going to be a good thing because it helps me grow in knowledge of myself as well as uh, I get to learn and develop new skills, grow emotionally um, in terms of emotional maturity and things like that. So life is a great self-project. And, and I think that this sermon is going to push back on us hard here, on the cultural air that we breathe on a couple of fronts. Um, one, is that the gospel is going to push back on you at first to say, the self-project is not anything, like, there's some overlap, but it's really nothing like that. That life is not a self-project where where growth equals knowing more about yourself, even though that's good, and growing in emotional maturity and developing new skills. That's not Christian maturity. That's not growth. That, in fact, I could even make a good case that what knowing yourself is is sometimes a quite depressing um, discovery process. You ever been on that, that you start to be honest about what lies here and you walk away and think, it's all so pretty in there. You know, I have discovered some things about myself and a lot of it, I, there's some good things. And there's also some things that I'm, I'm not real proud of that I wish were different. So I'm not sure if we're actually honest about the whole process that a self discovery is going to be all that happy of a place for us honestly. And so that's one part, but even, even emotional maturity and growing and developing new skills at the end of the day, and not, not only is it not terribly fulfilling, but not really what the Bible speaks of is Christian growth. The gospel is going to push us here, even on a verse that sounds somewhat similar to the thing that we're talking about, say in Romans eight, where it says God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It's a great promise But the good thing is not that you know yourself or that you learn how to start a fire or that you learn how to manage conflict better. That's not actually the good, because in fact, you may discover failure and fear and weakness about yourself, and you likely will if you're honest. What's good about it is Jesus is good. That's what's good. That's why every circumstance, even if the circumstance is pretty brutal and hurtful and difficult, I'm going to play happy that the circumstance is good. What we can say is, is I've realized where I'm weak and where people are evil and where they've let me down and I've let them down and I've done this and I've overvalued this and I've undervalued him and all these things. And you step back from that and you say, but but he's good, but he is good. That's where you land. And so the first place we'll be pushed back is that the self project isn't about self understanding, but about knowing God and seeing his sufficiency in all things. The second area that, that I think is going to be for the majority of the room is a lot of us truly do think this is an individual project. The way that you, you view um, the church, the way that you view your life is mostly about you trying to grow even in Jesus. And you probably don't realize that some of God's greatest means of grace to you, the way that God intends to help you grow, the way that God intends to help you change, practically speaking, God's number one tool that he uses alongside of his ministry of the Spirit. In fact, his ministry of the Spirit is what makes this go, is sitting in this room. The most powerful means of grace to help you follow Jesus are sitting in this room. Isn't that amazing to think about? Okay, so you're going to get pushed on both of those fronts. So let's go ahead and jump into this and see how this is a a community project. We're going to start reading in verse 8. You've seen the context of Romans 1. And we're just going to jump into this. Okay, so verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, I'm going to stop. You already see the relational handles on this. And it's interesting that in Romans 16, where we're probably the greatest theological letter ever written is bracketed around relationships. Chapter 16 is just a series of shout-outs to people that, that uh, Paul knows there in Rome and people that he loves and that he's heard of and other things like that. This is in the middle of all these amazing truths about um, how every person needs Jesus, whether you're religious or not, and about how salvation works from God's perspective and how he gives his righteousness to us and cancels the power of our sin and what that means for the Christian life and on and on. I mean, just amazing truths, homework. Go home and read Romans this week, 1 through 16. Just read it, and um, it's life-changing and awesome. And interesting, though, on the front end of all this awesome truth, it starts off saying, um, hey, there are people, there are like real live Romans, and he's saying, like, I love you, and and in fact, that every time that I think of you, it'll go on to say here that that he they're encouraged. Here, their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Their faith is proclaimed in all the world. So across the ancient world, people were hearing about the church at Rome. And the reason was, I think, is that that it's kind of the epicenter of a lot of persecution for Christians, that the Roman government were the ones that were some of the ones that were the most threatened and the touchiest about Christians tending to be the ones that throw, throw uh, Christians to the lions, that kind of deal, that that was the epicenter for all that was in Rome. And so what was happening was and really the hornet's nest of persecution for the church, people were hearing that the Roman Christians were holding on to Jesus. And I think that this has certainly been my experience. Maybe yours has been different. My experience has been that I tend to be the most encouraged when people are holding on to Jesus in difficult circumstances. Those things have tended to have the deepest impact on me. That that thing tends to spread when we hear story. You see, you see the relational element here of how the faith of these people in Rome was actually encouraging Paul, who was a long way away. In fact, their faith was encouraging Christians elsewhere. Here's this mutual element of, of change and growth and holding on to Jesus that you already see the seeds of here. Here's my theory. Now, we need to learn how to succeed well. We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to um when we're holding up the Super Bowl trophy to say thank you Jesus, like that kind of deal. We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn to succeed well. We need to learn to when we get the promotion, um when you get the grades, when you, you know, things have turned out well for you, you need to learn how to say, hey, you know, look, that all of that, I want to I want to succeed well. And if I have any mental capacity, if I had business know-how, if um, if there's anything that worked there, that God's the one that gave that, and I'm grateful for his provision, we need to learn to succeed well. So don't hear me saying that that isn't valuable because it is. All I'm saying is that typically I think that, um, that people, um, discount it. And when things are going well, they go, well, of course he's thanking Jesus for his, uh, his promotion and he's making six figures now. I mean, yeah. I mean, his life is so good. I mean, wasn't this really the complaint of, of Satan to Job. So, well, of course he praises you, God. Look how good his life is and how prosperous and how his children have grown up. That's why anybody can praise you and thank you when things are going well. And, uh, and so we need to succeed well. But for me, I've been powerfully affected. And this is certainly the case in the Church of Rome when things have not gone well, particularly on areas that I tend to overvalue. Let me tell you what I mean. Okay. So one of the guys in, um, in our church planning network that he's probably second an influence to Rodney in our whole network has got a Matt Chandler, up at the village. It's like a million miles north from here. And so, um, so Matt has, uh, has a brain tumor. And prognosis is not real encouraging, you know? Uh, now, we're believing and praying for, excuse me, for a miracle and that God will heal him. And I think we, that's a right thing to do. But the reality is, statistically speaking, the odds are not in his favor of him seeing his children graduate from high school, fall in love, get married, have babies, do the things that parents like to see their children do. All right. Now, for me, here's where this hits me, is that as, uh, as soon as I put a ring on, I immediately had problems with this with Amy my wife is that I can tend to make that the most important thing. And it needs to be a real important thing. And, um, and so I can tend to put more value, value on my marriage. And I did this as a single person, honestly, about what marriage could do for me. Thought that in many ways it would make me whole, things like that. Causes a lot of problems early on in marriage, by the way. Wouldn't re- recommend that. And, and then it's like we had our, had our baby and, and right as he's coming out of holding him, I'm like, this is going to be a real issue right here. <laughs> you know, and so these children become our everything, and And are, uh, in fact, a lot of you probably have your kids as like your Facebook profile or something like that. And and so, I mean, they are everything to us and everything about their success and their happiness. And I'm not hating on you on that, by the way. And so, uh, but really they become part of our identity. and And so much of our life is wrapped up around how they're doing in sports and school. We want them to be happy and succeed. And so much of our life is thinking forward about what they will be and how this will go and life markers that are exciting and all these things. And sometimes I can think, that them succeeding and us having a relationship that matures into adulthood, that that's the most important thing. And yet, I see Matt, when faced of losing all of that, easily my biggest fear of me not being there to take care of them, me not being there to raise them. Matt saying, hey, I'm not the one that saves them, that's Jesus. I'm entrusting my future and the future of my family to Jesus. He will be the one that looks after them. I'm not actually the one that is the protector and the one that helps them grow. I'm not the one that saves them. I'm not the one that does anything in this process. God's put me here for a season and I'll trust Him if He takes me out. See, when I hear Him holding on to Jesus faced with the very things that I tend to elevate above Jesus, all of a sudden it makes me think, you know what, maybe this stuff is true. Maybe in my suburban world, That it's just grinding out days. Maybe in the middle of that, maybe I can hold on to Jesus similarly. Even while I don't, as far as I know, have a tumor growing. Maybe I can hold on to him. Or maybe it's even people I've never met. Um, You may have heard of Asya Bibi in uh, Pakistan. And for becoming a Christian, she's on death row. And I mean, I'm not even going to get into all the things that have happened to her. You've probably heard her story on the news. And all of this goes away if Asia says, just kidding. I mean, I respect Jesus, but I'm not a follower of Jesus per se. I mean, she could play games with words and all sorts of things, but cut all through the junk of this whole thing. She's been, she has been uh, disowned from her family, and her future in many ways is, has no chance for what a lot of us are chasing right now, with career and happiness and marriage. All those things are almost completely thrown out the window for her. And here's the bottom line, whether you're talking Chandler or you're talking her, the bottom line to it is, is for them, Jesus is more valuable than any of those things. They're having to face the very thing that most of us are afraid of, more more valuable than reputation, more valuable than career, even more valuable than spouse or children. Getting to see life markers, more valuable than anything. And I hear stories like that. It makes me think. He is. I've heard of their faith. And it makes me hold on to Jesus, even if I'm not going through their circumstance. That was what was going on. Everybody in the ancient world hearing about the church in Rome. Let's keep moving. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. We've been talking about this good news. That's what gospel means. Jesus' death and resurrection. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So now this is not a great, here's how the church works sermon, because this is really talking one way from the apostle Paul who's speaking and leading from a distance this church and then how this church was relating, but I think it gives us a little bit of a template for how things can work, and you see his desire to be connected to them and the way that they love one another, helping each other grow, and you see one of the ways this is expressed, especially since he wants to go to them, it's not really working out now, is he's praying for them, and sometimes this can be left out of the community sermon. Now, I'm guessing that Rodney probably has. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does he kind of have the community sermon going on? It kind of rotates through, that'll come back from a lot of different texts. And the sermon goes something like, hey, look, the gospel makes us into a people and a people that love one another. So the church isn't something we just attend. It's something we are formed by the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Does he have that sermon about every third? Does it just get pressed on replay? He should, because it's one of the main themes of the Bible. God made a people out of Abraham and um, it goes through. He makes a people with a church and then someday we will be uh, we will be together with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And so rightly, he should have the community sermon. One that can get left out sometimes whenever we're quick to talk about community and it immediately goes, hey, we need to worship together. We need to have coffee together, be in each other's lives. Sometimes we can just blow by this aspect of praying for one another, that that's one of the most critical pieces of loving and serving one another well, you know, is praying for one another. And if... Your church here is anything like Redeemer in Lubbock. We, um, I, I hear a recurring theme a lot from our leadership through our membership to everybody that I talk to nearly is you talk and people say, you know, I'm, I could grow. Sorry about that. I could grow a bit in uh, in prayer. And by grow a bit, I mean I don't do it much at all. And so uh, we hear this a lot. And I think there's a couple of basic reasons for it that I, if I would encourage you on, one could be is that you don't have a plan. You may not have a plan for praying purposefully, strategically for one another. And I'm one of these guys that tends to push back a bit on structure, that it can almost feel like somebody's squeezing me in and it's taken taken the uh, the spontaneous relational aspect of my relationship from Jesus away and until I started Evaluating what I was praying for all the time. And it went something like, God, thank you for this day. And thank you for, you know, and I, and I had this little thing and I'm praying for the same stuff all the time. And then I would look up sometimes and think, man, I've not prayed for, um, for some of my leaders here. Or here's this non Christian friend of mine that isn't following Jesus yet that I haven't prayed for in weeks. And, and so, anyways, w- one thing could be that you may not have a plan. And, uh, one of our members, that Susan and I were just talking about, um, a guy named Carrie had developed this thing on an Excel spreadsheet of all things. And um, and it would ha- had a bunch of little categories, and I made fun of it forever. And it had different days of the week, Monday through Saturday, and then categories of her life, from friends to friends of hers that weren't following Jesus yet, to friends of hers that were in her gospel community. That's what we call our home groups. And um, leaders at our church, missionaries uh, that work among unreached peoples that we were supporting and that she knew and on and on and on, all these different categories, and I would pray for one or two of these a week. And, um, and then I realized that Carrie was praying much more strategically and purposefully than I was, so a plan can actually be a real asset. Rodney's asked me to upload mine. It may not help you, but I'll upload mine on the city for you guys um, later this week, and if it's any help, um, then maybe a little bit of structure. So if it's a structural problem, that's easy. You could fix that. But I've also found that one of the main reasons that we don't pray... For one another and meaningfully serve each other in this way is um, either we tend to honestly think that we kind of got this and we'll talk about it as well, I just trust him. So I don't need to like, be bringing all this stuff to him. I just trust him with things. Okay. Or another perspective is, is who needs Jesus when you're making good money? You know, when, when you have provided for yourself and I'm not hating on retirement, I'm not hating on uh, succeeding and making money. None of that I'm just saying that we could spend our whole life working on stuff where who really needs Jesus when you've provided everything for yourself and you'll talk about trust, but the truth is you don't really trust him at all. Or the other alternative is you're not real sure that he's either loving or powerful enough to change things. The reality is, is prayer can often be very difficult on your faith. It can be very difficult because if you've done much of it, you realize some of the things you've asked for haven't really happened the way you wanted to. Or the time you wanted them to, and and it caused you to wonder if he's really up there, or if he is, if he's powerful or good. And so it's just easier to talk in language of well, I'll just trust him, and you know I'm gonna go make some money and go do what I can do to provide for myself, and uh, and I'll tell, tell myself that I trust him. But the reality is is that I I'm, uh, I think I got this, and I'm not real sure that he cares enough or is powerful enough to do it. So it can be a real crisis of faith. Now, spiritually, that's a, a different situation, and hopefully we can be reminded that God is good and um, that He is powerful and He is in control, and those are the reasons why we pray. Um, but it could be on any of those fronts. So um, the issue here is, is that, um, that prayer is a real way to love and serve one another, whether our root of not doing it is spiritual or more practical, that um, I think the Bible would push us here to carry those burdens. It's tremendously encouraging it, is it not whenever one of your friends in your home group says, hey, that thing you mentioned last week, I've been praying all week for that. How's that going? I mean, it's a great way to serve one another um, in Jesus. Okay, here's the focal point of what we're going to look at. It says, for I long to see you um, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. We're not real sure what that spiritual gift is. um, But it says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So the part I want to focus on is a, a verse 12 where it talks about uh, being mutually encouraged in their faith. Mutually encouraged. So I'm just going to ask this question here. And I just want you to think about it, and I'm going to ask it from two because mutual means it's two ways. And I want to ask you this question, and you tell me, you tell yourself really how you're doing on this. I'm going to give you a chance to think about it. Is mutual encouragement means someone's faith is helping you hold on to Jesus, and it also means that your faith is helping someone else hold on to Jesus. So here's the question: How is someone else? encouraging you to hold on to Jesus right now? Who are they? How's that going? And then the flip side of that, who is it that you are encouraging to hold on to Jesus? Well, just think about that for a second. Consider it. Now here's what I found. When when I ask that question, usually people start off saying something like this. Well... I'm encouraged by normally on Sundays by attending here. And, um, when that pretty guy is up there preaching weekly, then, um, then I I feel pretty good about things. Speaking of which, um, he, uh, um, there's a, maybe a few weeks ago, they, uh, there's a guy in our network that had organized our region that was going away. And um, Rodney's really scribbling some notes over here to make sure he's taking careful notes on the second time he's heard this sermon. Um, and the guy said, hey, a lot of y'all don't know Rodney, but he's going to be collecting gift cards for this guy at our boot camp up at the Villages campus. So um, his, this is what he looks like. And the picture they sent out was, it was like an Abercrombie picture or something like that of Rodney. I mean, it was, it was like this. I'm in stubble. And, you know, I mean, at any moment, I'm expecting somebody to put some water on him and just whip that thing around. And, you know, that kind of deal. It's like July on Acts 29 calendar. Um, and so anyways, so you're like, well, that pretty guy preaches, then, then you feel very encouraged by, by what's going on here, feel very encouraged by the music, all that. And to that, hear me not, not devalue that. I hope that you're encouraged. Sometimes we can almost go the opposite extreme here and make like when we, on the community sermon and make it seem like this doesn't count that only coffee and meals and home groups count, and like as if this doesn't. And this does count. This does count. I hope that you're encouraged. Every week, I'm encouraged today. I've had, other than the Lubbock shots, other than that, I've had lots and lots and lots of encouraging conversations with people today. I think God is at work in this church. I love, I'm the pastor of Redeemer, but primarily I'm a member. And I love, being there and I'm greatly encouraged even as the pastor of of the church I'm involved with so I hope that you are so I'm not trying to devalue what happens here I think our our hope is is that we would revalue everyday life alongside of it and I think that you would agree with me that mutual encouragement that the Romans and Paul that um, I'm thinking that probably wasn't like four on 200 that it was a one-way thing there's four people that encouraged everybody else and what most of everybody did is they were just encouraged by the music and the preaching and then it encouraged their faith and then they walked out? But that's how this goes? And don't hear me saying, okay, so the way I solve that is by going to home group. Well, maybe. I think that's a logical conclusion of this is going to, going to, going to a group of any kind gives context for this thing to happen. But anybody that's been involved in a small group Bible study knows that in and of itself, a discussion group isn't changing anybody. You know, hearing what the crazy lady thinks about Romans 1 may or may not edify a ton about how that goes down you're like am I the crazy well you might be you might just be all right or the talky guy that has 37 comments every group or the shy one that never talks and, um, and that every group every group had these same dynamics you'll ever be a part of and just because you attend and you go on Tuesday night or whenever it is anybody that's done it knows it's not a silver bullet anymore that going to the services even though I think they are right and good aspects of what we do let me say it from my life just for a sec. Okay, so about a year and a half ago with another member from Redeemer, another couple, we started a gospel community, that's what we call them, and um, we, we started one among, among friends of ours that play youth sports with, with our children and that they weren't following Jesus at the time. We built relationships over years, had many conversations about Jesus with our friends, And so we started this thing up and started to talk about Jesus. And over the course of that time, some people have dropped out. New ones have been added. But then several of these families have started following Jesus, which is super exciting. And so now, I mean, like we we talk all the time. We see each other all the time. We're involved in each other's lives. And one of the things we do is every Monday morning at nine, I meet with these two other men, that guy that helped start the group with me. And this other guy that, check this out, a year ago, he was not following Jesus at all. And now what we do every week is we sit down over coffee, and we we just, we call it popping the hood. And we just pop the hood, we call them fight clubs as as a whole. But we pop the hood, and we just start saying, all right, here's my issue. Here's my issue. And so, like for us, one thing that comes up a lot is if you've actually been involved in youth sports It is a little crazy out there. And I'm the head coach of our team and we're playing up in grapevine this weekend. And so I'm a constant drama, constant drama. And so one of the regular conversations we talk about is, all right, how is it that I follow Jesus and not like act like an idiot on the baseball field? How does that happen? You know, and so sometimes it goes like this is, um, and as encouraging as a worship service is, I can hear something here that says, look, value Jesus more than children even though we want to honor and love our kids. If you make them gods, they cannot live up to that. They'll crush you, disappoint you because they can't be that. In fact, they will collapse under the weight of your expectations. So don't. So you hear that and you're like, oh, that's true, man. That's true. I need to not do that. Okay. I just think it's incomplete without the follow-up. It's like the lab. You've got the three-hour lecture. I've got to have the lab where I'm sitting down over coffee and going, okay, I, I know that this is broken, uh, but help me understand why I can, even if I don't let it verbally go out, why I can nearly lose my mind when we look terrible out there for a second. When we have a bad inning, why I, I feel like losing my mind. And then they will say things like, well, tell me about that. Um, why, why does it make you so angry? Well, I just hate it that, here's where I start off with excuses. I just don't like that brand of baseball. I don't want to look in bad. Okay, why you care? They're nine. Why, why you care? You know? Why you caring about that? Well, because, you know, and we start pressing a little bit further. Well, see, I mean, you, you, you care about this for, spell those reasons out. And you're like, well, and you get down to the bottom and you realize, well, the part of it is, is I feel like, since I'm the head coach of this team, that in some way my name is tied in with this deal, and that if this team does well, if they play well, then people will say that I'm a good and smart coach that knows baseball and whatever. I mean, you get down to it, and they're walking me through this. and And then furthermore your own kid issues, that people will also say, well, dang, man, I bet he was a pretty good player back in the day if you look at his kid. And so, I mean, really, it it is really embarrassing to say it out loud, but I don't think I'm the only one here. And we pop that hood open and we see, okay, so what we're saying is you cut through the crap and you're using your nine-year-old kid and his baseball team so that I'll be okay? Is that what we're looking at? Sure sounds like it to me. Sadly, I can also do this with my church. If I succeed enough, maybe Rodney and the guys will think that I'm a good leader. You know? Maybe all of my people will feel lucky to be there. And if they say I'm okay, maybe I'm okay. So I can use them and how many people are there and stories of conversion for my own being okay. And so I've got these friends of mine that are saying, okay, let me understand why. And we just keep asking why until we get down to a root. And then we say, all right, now, Dusty, do you remember, do do you know, can you remember right now that whether that team wins or not today at 2 o'clock, you're all right. Did you know that you already stand completely accepted and loved by him? Did you know that you have nothing to prove? Did you know that you can't lose? Your team can lose. Life cannot go well by a lot of metrics. But did you know you can't lose? Because in Christ, His love for you is constant. Okay, see, they are encouraging me, correcting me, helping me. And so I've got a year, a guy that a year ago that wasn't even following Jesus, and I'm watching him hold on to Jesus. And like, he learns new stuff all the time. He's like, oh, So you're saying I shouldn't go drop hundreds of dollars at a casino and come in at three in the morning? He just didn't know. He didn't know that that's not a good way to to serve your family and to love a wife and to raise three sons. He didn't know. And as soon as he's like, oh, okay, well, I want to honor her. And I want to please Jesus. I want to know him. And and I'll watch him obey and hold on to, and then it makes me think, maybe Jesus is real. You know, maybe this stuff is legit and I need to be reminded because my faith is weak and my heart is wicked and I need to see that Jesus is good and I'm mutually encouraged. It's a two way street for my brand new Christian friend. You know, so some of you in here are like, well, I can't encourage anybody. I don't even know half of the Bible. My sense is, is that if you would connect life to life with somebody and use the home groups as as a springboard for a relationship here my sense of what happens is that you will offer maybe as much as the, the wisest veteran in this room that has lived the most life. The one that just in a very unfiltered way said, saying, I don't even know. I just want to follow Jesus. We'll will push on the person that's been doing this for a while and it's all very familiar. And the one that's wise that has lived a lot of life will give great help and encourage, it. We're mutually encouraging by our gifts. So let me circle back around who are you encouraging right now? Who's your faith helping them to love Jesus? And who is here to give faith to you? Because if the answer is, I like the music and they do a great job with kids. Well, yeah, they do a great job with kids. I'm just saying that if there's not somebody that's in your life that knows what's going on, I just don't know how this realistically plays out. Church is something we are even more than something we attend. Let me just read the last couple of verses here and we'll pull this together. So um, then it concludes by saying, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. And um, here again, remind me, this is a church at Rome, so mostly Christians, right? Yet he's going to preach the Gospel to them so that they'd be mutually encouraged by their faith. So the gospel is not just for people that are coming to Jesus, even though that would be included. It's for you. And it's not you by yourself. It's us. It's us together on this change project. And you can go get the book out there that, uh, that I think is being referenced a lot. Chester, um, wrote it. And I, I just want to, I, I want to restate four things that you've already heard from that book. And I want you just to consider how you can help each other hold on to these parts or what a, true about God and who He says you are, who He says He is, and how we can help each other see it in each other's lives, help each other walk it, help each other hold on to Him in the midst of a lot of difficult circumstances. God is great, so we do not have to be in control. God is glorious, so we do not have to fear others. God is good, so we do not have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so we do not have to prove ourselves. Hey, church, listen, man, you can't lose. Everything you're chasing for right now has already been finished and spoken over you. So let's help each other believe it, help each other live it, and celebrate the grace of Jesus. Let's stand, and I want to pray over us. I thank You that You haven't left us on our own. I thank You for mercy. I suspect there's a room full of people that it may not be kids, they may be single, it may be their idealized spouse of the future. Maybe people that are nearing retirement age that are thinking that's going to be the thing that's going to set them free and heal them and make them whole. Constant pursuit of more cash, more security. I mean... They are legion. They are many, God. Our things we replace You with. Our confession is that You alone satisfies. You alone are the one that saves. God, help us please. God, we cannot make it alone. Help us mutually encourage each other. Looking to Jesus, being satisfied in You. You'll use relationships in here. The people will take next steps of involvement to give them context, to get in each other's lives. And that there even be somebody right now that may not even be a believer yet that that, um, six months from now would be providing great encouragement to others in this room. Help us to see it. Fuel us with the Spirit in Your ministry there. God, help every person respond. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.